This is Omo. 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 Is this Yoko Omo? This is Omo. This is Omo. Everybody out there, Omo sapiens, all of you listening, we have an episode that we have just about killed ourselves on that the moment that we started looking into this, it gripped me and I could not tear away from it. If you've been following me on Instagram, you know I have not shut up about Brazil and what's happening with Pernambuco. I can't get enough. Uh, And I'm here today with Brandon Godman. Hey, Rosie. Hi. And we uh, have a lot to cover, so we're going to dive right in. And I just want to say, with the topic of Pernambuco, the wood that is the most highly prized wood for every violin, viola, cello, bass bow out there, with this wood, every day what's happening, the news out there is changing. So... This might be light on uh, light on editing today. You might hear us rustling around papers uh, because we're trying to keep on top of it as best we can with all that is happening. And uh, so let's get into it. Hi, Brandon. Welcome. Hey, Rosie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I'm really glad that we're doing this episode. Um, I'm extremely passionate about bows, and I'm just going to start off with uh, tomato, tomato, Pernambuco, Pernambuco. We all say it. We're all American. We're all going to do, uh, well, you and I are American, I think, right? Are you? Uh... I, I am. I'm Texan, born and raised. Yes. Okay, so, cool. Uh, I, I haven't even been listening to myself. I think I say Pernambuco. You say Pernambuco. I say Pernambuco. Okay. okay. So we're talking about the same wood here, everyone. Gotcha. That, that beautiful red tree that, or that red orange wood that actually, it um in doing some research i found out that if a tree breaks it actually like oozes red like yeah. it act- the sap is red and kind of bleeds. bleeds in a way yeah it bleeds um there's so many like little romantic things in this whole uh story that's mm-hmm. i don't know it's yeah i've become since moving to california such a tree lover i play with a lovely artist named Lori lewis who is a lover of trees lover of the rivers Every trip I do with her, I learn something about, you know, the current status of trees and endangered species. And mm-hmm. um, this one really hit home because, I mean, I've got a bow tattooed on my arm. It was my first, uh, it was my first tattoo I ever had. And it's um, beautiful. I love it. Yeah. And it's basically because my first fiddle teacher said, you know, the left hand is the tune, but the right hand's the song. And, and yeah. I always like to say it's where you're heart goes in and your soul comes unraveled and it's all through the bow. That's beautiful. And, uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, this is very, uh, important to both of us. So yeah. let's dive right into this yeah. beautiful world of Pernambuco. Absolutely. Um, some things that we're going to cover, we're going to go over a little bit of the history of how this material came to be, uh, as far as in, within the sphere of the musicians, um, we are going to talk about things that are changing today with classification as an endangered species. We're going to talk about how that affects the music industry. We're going to talk about our hopes for what we do going forward. Uh, we're off for a quick break, and then we're going to dive right up into the history. Stay with us. Hey, Bench Monkeys. How many times has this happened to you? You've acquired a library of violin trade books, tools, and wood from a retired colleague, and now the boxes are just taking up an entire corner of your shop. Or you've got a specialty item for the industry, but you had to buy it in bulk, and now you're looking for 25 people to split it with. Or you've made some righteous custom jigs that need distributing. Well, our friends over at Handcrafted are making all of this easier for us. Luthiers can now create their own online stores for selling those specialty items that are made just for us. Handcrafted.market is making it easier than ever for us to showcase the instruments we make and buy and sell the tools and materials that we need to do our jobs well. So downsize your Tonewood collection or sell a few unused tools. 
or start selling your freshly finished instruments or offload some instruments that aren't quite right for your market. No need to wait. For more information and how you can start selling on Handcrafted, go to handcrafted.market slash OMO. Again, that's handcrafted.market slash OMO. Handcrafted.market. For luthiers, by luthiers. All right, welcome back, Omo Sapiens. Here we are with Professor Deloach. That's me. Who, at this point, she has her doctorate in uh, Pernambuco, and she's going <laughs> to lecture us. Yeah. And and the first thing I'm going to do is just read from someone else's blog I found online. <laughs> <laughs> so it, this is, um, again, we had to do a lot of prep work and a lot of reading and I think that the person who explains the history of Pernambuco, Pernambuco, Pernambuco. Uh, is the blog of Andy Fine of Fine Violins. So I'm going to read a section here from the history they cover. And guys, please check out his blog, uh, Andy Fine. It is blog.fineviolins.com. That is F-E-I-N. Pernambuco wood was harvested from trees growing on the east coast of the Portuguese colony of Brazil. And due to the wood's use as a dye in the creation of textiles, the harvest of Pernambuco became a focus of colonial industry and trade. So this is hundreds of years ago. To derive a dye made from Pernambuco, the wood was broken down into a very fine sawdust. Can you guys imagine? which was then soaked in water, resulting in vivid fabric colors from orange to purple. In Portuguese, Pau Brasil means furnace red wood. So like the blood you were referring to, Brandon. Yes. And it was named for the wood's deep red color. And the colony took its name, Brazil, from the name of one of its most profitable exports. Although not as infamous as sugarcane or tobacco harvesting, the extraction of Pernambuco wood during the colonial period was just as intense and destructive as the more well-known colonial cash crops. The extraction of Pernambuco wood from the east coast of Brazil took place primarily from the 1500s to the 1800s and was the determining factor in the creation of settlements, population centers, and systems of harvest and trade aimed at exporting the wood back to Europe to, again, be used as a dye. The use of cheap and coerced indigenous labor and later African slaves obtained through the transatlantic slave trade allowed for a massive system of extraction that completely depopulated the region of Pernambuco wood, enriching many Europeans in the process. The frantic and brutal rate at which Pernambuco wood was extracted also contributed to the genocide of indigenous nations inhabiting the land on which Pernambuco wood was found, replicating a scenario all too common during the colonial period, where the death of indigenous peoples contributed to the enrichment of Europeans halfway across the world. The trade was so profitable that pirates and corsairs working for the French, English, and Dutch, and other European powers would raid Portuguese ships and attempt to smuggle the wood back to Europe. Going on to the time that we know of this material. In Paris in the late 18th century, a massive 168 acres of land were piled high with Pernambuco logs extracted from Brazil. It was this influx of Pernambuco wood to Europe that gave rise to the Pernambuco wood bows used by violinist, violist, cellist, bassist all over the world. Legend has it that the French bow maker Francis Xavier Tort, the father of the modern bow, would visit these wharves where he would scrounge up different kinds of wood from the New World that was used in packing crates and barrels. Pernambuco served exactly what Tort was looking for. It was naturally springy, it was dense, it was strong. It readily adopted a curve that seemingly could hold forever. Unfortunately, 
Pernambuco wood was often thorny or twisted, and one 19th century expert estimated that one could go through eight to 10 tons of Pernambuco wood in order to find the perfect piece needed to craft a bow. Now, modern techniques have improved that ratio, but it remains difficult to find the perfect piece of Pernambuco wood for a bow. Only the best portions of the best parts of the wood trees are suitable for crafting bows today. Now, (laughs) the harvest of this material during the colonial period was so intense that by the 18th century, the industry started to collapse. And today the trees are nearly extinct in their original range. Pernambuco, which has the scientific name Cecilpinia enchinata, is listed as an endangered species by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Conservation initiatives have been undertaken with some success, but Pernambuco trees are difficult to introduce into the wild and success has been limited. Bow makers whose livelihoods depend on the availability of Pernambuco wood are particularly interested in preserving the Pernambuco that remains and planting new trees for the future. And one extra note that I pulled, uh, the tree itself, if we're talking about harvesting, it does not begin to produce that hard, dark hardwood for which it is renowned and we use for the bows. Um, It doesn't produce that until it's 10 years old. And that heartwood only becomes dominant in the tree after 20 years. Uh, There is a reforestation program in the state of Pernambuco that has shown that right now a properly pruned and cared for tree will produce heartwood suitable for bow making in 30 to 35 years. Uh, The old number used to be 80 to 100 years. So uh, we have gotten better at harvesting, but as you can tell, it takes a while. As I was looking at some of the uh, resources that we were going through when we were studying for this, um, I looked up a bunch of YouTube videos of just, as everything is on YouTube, of Pernambuco. And there's a great video of Young Chen showing a, like a piece of Pernambuco log, and he shows this heart, that the heartwood, and it's so... It's like such a core of the wood. And um, I, I encourage everyone to look at that just to see where this stuff comes from and how much of that tree is actually not used. Yeah. And one figure that I saw is that over um, 90% of the wood harvested, the Pernambuco that's harvested, it's actually wasted. Only about 10% of it's able to be used in bow making. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If you look at that, um, video that Young Chen is in. He has a slice of the Brazil wood tree. And so the outer part is often the part that's called Brazil wood. And it's a kind of a dull brown color. And then the inner core is that blood red color. And that's what we want for Pernambuco bows. We'll be right back after the break. Hello, Homo sapiens. I have with me Jackson Maberry maker of the most potent fiddle sauces on the market, J.G. McIntosh Rosinate Oil Varnishes. Happy to be here with you all. Thank you for having me. Well, I use this regularly. It is on my workbench all the time. I use it with varnish and touch-up work. It's great for a sealing layer between touch-up colors. Now, where can I find this stuff? The only place to, to buy uh, the Dr. McIntosh finishes is at Wood Finishing Enterprises. So it's woodfinishingenterprises.com. That's the one. I've got it open right now. So tell me how to find your stuff. Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to sort of find your way to um, the Dr. McIntosh products. In the product categories, you can go to coating and finishing materials. And then you'll see a subheading that really speaks to people like you and me. It says products for violin makers. I see it. So you'll see all of the the Dr. McIntosh stuff there, the tintura, the ground, and the color varnishes. Oh, and there's like resins and turpentines in here as well. Almost anything you could ever want. If I just want to find your stuff. So the easiest way to do it is that search bar in the top of the woodfinishingenterprises.com. If you were just to type in Macintosh. That's M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. 
into the search bar and hit enter, all of my products will pop up right there. Okay, great. And you've got several different varieties as far as colors. I, I'm using the clear all the time. I would highly recommend getting the varnish thinning agent if you make a purchase here, just to keep everything at the right consistency. It's good stuff out there, guys. Go to woodfinishingenterprises.com. You can just type in Macintosh up at the top and find what you need for your bench monkey practice. All right. Thanks, guys. So, Brandon, we've got major players today that our audience needs to understand. Can you enlighten us, please? Yeah, Rosie. So there are some players in the world today who have a lot to do with Pernambuco, the trade of Pernambuco, and most importantly, the preservation of Pernambuco. Mm -hmm. The first of these groups is the IPCI. That's the International Pernambuco Conservation Initiative. Um, in the spring of 1999, a small group of bowmakers met in Paris to discuss their growing concerns about the Pernambuco habitat. The result of this meeting was the formation in May of 2000 of the International Pernambuco Conservation Initiative, IPCI. This is an organization representing bowmakers from around the world, 10 different countries. There was unanimous support to find a partnership in Brazil in order to establish a reforestation project in the Atlantic Coast Tropical Forest. Now, what they've done is they've created some farms where they're farming Pernambuco. They had a lot of seedlings donated from a big bow maker. Actually, I've come to find out from Young Chin. Oh. Um, um, and now we've got trees that are over 20 years old, some of these. Um, of course, we've still got like 20 years before they're able to be used, but there's a strong initiative and it's a very good organization to be part of. And through this organization, there has been a lot of cooperation of the various bowmakers and companies in Brazil. Yeah. Um, I, I am, I'm curious about that because with, um, the regulations that we will be getting into later, uh, I am curious what happens to that replanting initiative when those trees come of age, Yeah, which is not sorted. No. And that's where, I mean, Quite honestly, when we were talking to the various people who helped us with this episode, the big headline to this is information's changing every day. Yeah. You know, the people, the product, and the place, it's, it's all so intertwined. So, you know, there's probably some of this information that's changed after we've already said it. So, inevitably. Yeah. Okay. So, the second organization, we have more people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. CITES. And we've all heard people talk about CITES in relation to, Ivory, rosewood, all of those things. Elephants. Elephants, yeah. <laughs> what is CITES, though? CITES is the Convention on Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Is that how I say that? Fauna? Yeah, that's right. F-A-U-N-A. -A. Yeah. Okay. CITES was drafted as a result of a resolution adopted in 1963 at a meeting of members of IUCN, the World Conservation Union. The text of the convention was finally agreed at a meeting of representatives of 80 countries in Washington, D.C. on March 3rd, 1973. And on the 1st of July, 1975, CITES entered in force. Okay, so we have a group of bow makers for IPCI, and then we've got like this giant behemoth organization that is like basically in charge of what gets transported where. Yeah. And telling okay. us what we're allowed to even touch at this yeah. point, you know, um, both really great organizations. The next one, I have to um, just say that it's called Obama, mm -hmm. not Obama, Obama, <laughs> it's Obama. Um, and this is actually funny because I was talking to another bow maker who said, oh yeah, Obama came in and confiscated a whole bunch of wood back in uh, 2000, what was it 2009? They said, oh, or something that's like confusing. That. I was like, wait a second, what? Um, he did what now? Obama did what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's Obama. So that's I-B-A-M-A. -A. Mm -hmm. And Obama is, Obama is the, ooh, Rosie, I can't say that. I'm looking at my notes right now. <laughs> All right, let me shuffle some papers. Instituto Brasileiro do Mio, I think Mio, 
ambiente y dos recursos naturales renovades. Sure, I think I got that right. This is the Brazilian Institute <laughs> for the Environment. Is what it says right next to it. Okay, that's what we're going to go with. Yeah. So this is the organization within the country who are calling on CITES for more help. Um, they're kind of like the, would you say the FBI or the CIA of like trees or something? Almost? Well, yeah, I mean, they're they're able to do operations. Yeah, they're doing and, operations. Yeah. And if I may jump in with just a, a little thing that we'll get into more there's stuff going on within Brazil because their current president is is kind of not a fan of the rainforest. So Yeah. Yeah. He's a fan of Brazil. Yeah. But not the rainforest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um that yeah, more to come on that. Yeah. But yeah, um so Obama is working with CITES and they're the ones doing a lot of the research a lot of the investigation around Pernambuco at the moment. Yeah. All right. The next uh, group, and this is one that um, you can really rely on. Um, mm-hmm. It's called the Alliance. And that is alliance-usa.org. Now, the Alliance was started by the Entente. The Entente is the international organization of violin and bow makers that's okay. been going since... Um, was it the fifties or something? Um, sorry, I don't have that note in front of me. I thought I wrote okay. it down, but I didn't. Um, at any rate, this is this was uh, an organization sort of started within that. Um, and what this is, the alliance was created, and it's actually called the International Alliance of Violin and Bowmakers for Endangered Species. It was started in two thousand eighteen, and the thing that's great about the alliance is it's a centralized source of information that's constantly updated. Um, it's also a good place to fundraise through because they're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're sitting there, I mean, we'll get into later what you can do, but it's the safe place. It's the reliable source because as you and I found going through, like trying to find information for this, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, there's lots of what I think you and I would both probably say is fake news. <laughs> okay, I mean, yeah. lots of misinformation out there, lots of, mm-hmm only half researched information that's being floated around lots of rumored information that's not really provable Uh uh-huh um so the alliance is a person it's a organization we can rely on um so this is the website to go to when the information that we're sharing today becomes old and is no longer relevant exactly (laughs) okay yeah so we've got ipca ipci sorry ipci we've got cites we have got um, Obama, Obama, and then we've got the Alliance. And then I have one little tiny factoid that I couldn't let go. So Ooh, I love factoids. Um, <laughs> so with <laughs> with <laughs> with CITES, they basically say, okay, here's the regulations, everybody. But then the individual countries have to decide who's going to enforce those regulations. So for us in the United States, we have the Lacey Act. And this act was started in 1900 to get people to stop killing off exotic birds purely for hat decoration. Oh, it's them? Yeah. (laughs) They're the ones? Yeah. So uh, the Lacey Act is a law that states, if any material you are importing is in violation of a local law at the point of origin it is now illegal in the United States. So that's us saying, we got your back, Brazil, or whatever agency that that needs our help. And um, so CITES decides a classification of something that's endangered. Uh, the Lacey Act is the, the um, basically us stating we're going to enforce that. And then that gets handed off to U.S. Fish and Wildlife, which kind of operates as a police force. So that's uh, people that would be at checkpoints um at uh national international borders yeah they're the ones confiscating bows for ivory and that type of thing yeah 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 yeah. so we had to do all of that prep work all that explanation just to get to what is happening now right right so what's going on and and you know what i i don't think we fully credited where we got a lot of our information from we um talked a lot to young chen 
And we talked a lot to Rodney Moore and they helped us understand this situation. And then the rabbit hole just went deeper and deeper the further we read and learned. Yeah. And they, they've both agreed to be guests in the future Yeah, on this topic. Um, okay, good. But quite honestly, Young is so busy with the work that he's doing because it's all timely right now. Um, yeah. But He's yeah, just doing could this not do this episode without them. Yeah. So uh, what's happening now? The country of Brazil reached out to CITES requesting additional protection for their dwindling Pernambuco forest. Why? Well, despite the efforts of the IPCI, the forests are just not being replenished at a rate fast enough for their current level of protection. There's room for conjecture here, but to quote Yang Chen in a recently published Pernambuco update from the American Federation of Violin Bowmakers, he says, It will be very difficult for those who represent us at CITES related meetings if those involved in illegal activities do not stop. I will let the listener infer what they will about this. Um, Chin goes on to remind everyone, there has been a five-year investigation into the illegal trade of Pernambuco in Brazil, and the investigation is spreading worldwide. Much data has been collected by the Brazilian authorities via social media. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what's happening right now? Let's just like get it down to bare facts. Pernambuco is endangered. People are still harvesting Pernambuco. Um, despite current regulations. Despite current regulations. There are some current regulations that we'll get into. Um, this investigation has been happening since, or it's been happening for five years now, but we're only just now realizing that it's happening. Um yeah us in America have only been informed that this is an issue um, or at least this is invest this investigation and this timely thing that's happening. We've only been aware of it for like nine or 10 months. Yeah. Which, so you might guess people like IPCI, uh, the Alliance, they're scrambling right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A little bit more background information understanding classification of uh, things that are endangered. Um, So let's understand how Pernambuco is regulated right now. Um, There are three appendixes that CITES will classify endangered material. And we start with uh, Appendix 3. Species are protected in at least one country. And that country has asked CITES for assistance in controlling its trade. Appendix two, the uh, material is not necessarily threatened. I say material. Material or animal is not necessarily threatened with extinction, but trade needs to be controlled to avoid future extinction. That's where we are today with Pernambuco. And then that jumps up to appendix one. That means a species is threatened with extinction and trade is only permitted in exceptional circumstances. So guys, since 2007, Pernambuco has been listed as Appendix 2, as I stated. Not yet threatened with extinction, but we need help with trade. What that means for us in the industry, for bow makers, and for musicians is this. The raw materials that make bows can only cross international lines if you can certify those materials were collected before 2007, when this ruling came into effect. So finished materials, finished bows, can cross international lines, which is great for musicians. You have a finished bow in your violin case. You can travel where you need to with it. Um, It's also great for uh, people who have music shops who want to buy bows. We can just make an order. It's a finished bow. We're not buying raw materials. Why are we talking about this now? Well, this vote that's coming up, uh, they Brazil has asked CITES to change their Appendix 2 status to Appendix 1. They want to declare Pernambuco, as far as CITES is concerned, as threatened with extinction. So there's a vote coming up. Again, 
it, I keep saying this over and over. We're going to get to it. We're going to get into it because there's just so much to cover. Yeah. Uh, we have a vote coming up. We're going to talk about that vote. Um, it will actually be the week of the VSA in November. Um, we cannot state enough how much this designation will upend the violin industry. Brandon, you've got further stuff about what's going on with Obama, uh, Operation Do Re Mi. Uh, explain all of that to us. Well, so remember that investigation that I was talking about that started in 2018. Um, and all of this information, by the way, that we're citing, at least right here, is actually from the CITES proposition. Um, so this is all you can go online, find it, read it yourself. It's pretty riveting to read, actually. I mean, it's gripping. Um, okay, so get this. Operation Do Re Mi. Do a deer, a female deer, ray, a bright, bright ray of sun. Me, me a name. Eating from trees. <laughs> Julie Andrews would be so disappointed in us. Um, at any rate, seriously, this thing uh, by Obama, Obama, is called Operation Do Re Mi. And what they were basically doing is investigating the illegal trade of timbers um, that are protected in Brazil. And Pernambuco is kind of the big one. Um, and in 2018, they started carrying out Operation Do Re Mi. Um, more than 30 bow makers and companies have been fined pr for producing instruments made with wood of illegal origin. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have names. We just have numbers. We just have numbers. Um, in 2019, Obama found and confiscated 102 recently cut logs of Pernambuco that were actually hidden in a rural property, um, and they were linked to a famous bowmaker. Um, some of this wood, actually the majority of this wood, was actually sourced through selective logging from a national forest. Um, so or actually a national protected park. area. Yeah, a protected area. So mm -hmm. they're going in and cutting down centuries-old trees and the real cream of the crop being pulled out and sold to bow makers. Uh, to shops like yours and mine. Yeah, because it has trickled down, right? Yeah. Um, so Operation Do Re Mi 2018 has been investigating this. We just caught wind of it about nine to ten months ago. It's been you know, heavily investigated now. Um, and really all of this is part of an underlying problem of deforestation. All of the Pernambuco, as you said earlier, grows in the Atlantic forest, mm -hmm. which is right on the coast of Brazil. And a huge percent of Brazil, the population of Brazil lives on that coast. It's something like what, 80 or 90%. Is that correct, Rosie? You know, I, I didn't get the number on that specifically. It's, there was, yeah, one video I was watching said something to the effect of like a huge percentage of the Brazilian population lives on the coast. And as that population expands, you know, um, they're just taking out these forests, yeah. which is where the Pernambuco lives. Um, deforestation being the huge issue here, that's the overlying issue, um, between 2020 and 2021 alone, 2.16 million acres was deforested. 2.16 million acres of forest yeah. was taken out. Yeah. That's a huge number. I mean, I grew up on a tobacco farm and we grew at maximum 20 acres of tobacco. Uh -huh. And that's a lot of land filled with tobacco. Like that's what as I'm sitting here thinking like one, 2.16 acre, million acres. It's, it's just overwhelming, you know? Um, yeah. And so all of this is now leading up to this big move by Obama and CITES. Um, and as Rosie said, this vote's happening coming up at the 19th meeting of CITES in Panama city, Panama, November 14th through 25th, which just happens to be during the time that we're going to be at the VSA, Yeah, you know? Um, and there are people who will be there representing the bow trade, I'm sure, you know? Um, but the bottom line is by November 25th, we're going to have 
new regulations handed to us on Pernambuco. And is it going to be in Appendix 1? Is it going to stay Appendix 2? Are they going to restrict it heavily in Appendix 2? We don't know. Um, But it's going to have an effect. Yeah, it's going to have an effect. So as you're talking about this deforestation, there's another wrinkle to this. And this is the current president of Brazil. And so I got to I got to talk about elections for a minute uh, and oh, politics. Man. I know. I know. So, OK, again, I got to juggle some papers. We have got currently uh, President Jair Bolsonaro. He is I'm going to start talking about him. And some of you guys from the United States are going to think he really reminds you of somebody that we have had as a president. Well, we're not going to say who. Uh, yeah. Uh, so right now, Bolsonaro, he, he believes that his people should be able to benefit from their land the way that they choose, regardless of the long-term ramifications. Uh, he's been recorded saying regarding uh, protected lands. Well, I mean, it, it's ours and there's too much of it that's been protected. Uh, around him, there has developed a culture of ignoring protected areas. There's developed a culture of um, the laws being disregarded. Um, and uh, there are Brazilians who are starting to think that they can clear land as they please. And uh, this Operation Do Re Mi is proof of that. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, there's a documented day in August 2019. It was known as the Day of Fire when a coordinated effort to clear land for cattle pasture was documented. Scientists can prove the change in the air quality, that it was fire. Pre- President Bolsonaro says that didn't happen. Um, a lot of his supporters say that day never happened. Um, So the person running against him is Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, also known as Lula. He's actually been president twice before. And while he was serving, uh, not only did he have a record of uh, decreasing hunger and and making sure everybody uh, got three square meals a day, he had a record of preserving um, a lot of this deforestation that's happening now, preserving that, um, keeping that from happening. And so so we know, we know where he falls on this issue. So today, as we're recording, it's uh, October 3rd, there was an election on October 2nd. And the way that Brazilian elections work, I actually kind of like it more than in the U.S. The way that it works is we've got as many people as want to run may run. There were six people that were running for president. And uh, the top two were Bolsonaro and Lula. And uh, if during this first election, if one person clearly gets 50%, then they're just outright going to be the next president. So we had this election yesterday. Uh, and yesterday being October 2nd. October 2nd. 57 million voted for Lula, 51 million voted for Bolsonaro. That's 48.4% for Lula, 43.2% for Bolsonaro. There will be a runoff October 30th. So basically, we still don't know who the next president is going to be. It's not a done deal. So that is one more piece of the puzzle here. Um, so during the time where millions of acres were cut down, cleared for meat, um, Bolsonaro was the president and his track record is looking the other way. Um, and if I may just say something that is personal, um, this is not anybody else's policy. This is just me having a moment of empathy, uh, If I was a person in the trade in Brazil and I was watching the forest burn around me, I have to question what decision would I make? Would I let them burn 
or would I try to collect that material so at least it can be used in the industry? Yeah. I'm not saying that that's the right call, but I would like people to understand how complex the issue is right now for those individuals. Yeah. I I mean, I should say too, that we're not pointing fingers at anyone. Um, It's, it's complicated. Just like a lot of our stateside issues are very, very complicated. Um, But we are just looking at the facts that the forests are going away. Pernambuco is going away with them. We happen to use uh, wood in our really prized bows. That's very endangered. And um, that's a hard pill to swallow, you know? So, um, to our colleagues, because these people who are bow makers down there are colleagues. I worked for a Brazilian bow company for a year doing wholesale. Mm-hmm. They're great people, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, it, it's hard. Yeah. You know, but that's why what we're presenting here today is largely the facts that we're pulling from sources like CITES and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I saw that they were there with dozers and about to burn down a rainforest, do you think I wouldn't jump in and try to save that 200 year old Pernambuco tree? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, it's tricky. I'm not a fast runner though, Rosie. So you're going to have to have my back. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, I mean, this is all leading up to like November, right? Mm-hmm. We've got this vote in, on October 30th. Um, we have the CITES conference, the 14th through the 25th of November. So this is, I mean, I'm literally sitting on the edge of my seat right now. Yeah. So so we have to conjecture, you know, will this Appendix 1 vote happen? So all we have is the precedent of what has happened before. There, There is a longstanding tradition of a country going to CITES to ask for support and they get what they ask for. Yeah. So right now, Brazil is asking for this change. So it seems highly likely that they will get it based on what has happened in the past. Now, exactly how it will unfold, exactly how it will be enforced, um, if there's going to be a time limit, this this is all unknown. Yeah. yeah. But if it, if it is put on Appendix 1, then Pernambuco will be joining the ranks of ivory, tortoiseshell, Brazilian rosewood. Um, I mean, the list gets longer and longer. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So what happens next? Yeah. You want me to tell them <laughs> or you want to tell them? <laughs> Am I going to be the doctor that has to come in with the bad news yeah. or the Is good news? doctor time? <laughs> yeah. Dr. Brandon. I'm sorry, patience. Um, so what happens next? If you're a musician and you have a Pernambuco bow, that's okay. You take care of that bow. They're not going to come and steal your bow. Um, you do not have to travel internationally with it, um, unless you can somehow prove that it was made before 2007. Um, that's where this is all going to get weird because currently the association of, a, a the national association of appraisers, yeah. um, they don't appraise ivory. They don't yeah. appraise tortoiseshell. Um, so yeah, because we we're trying to figure out basically what you're saying is we have to figure out a system to certify bows that were made before 2007, correct? Right. So like if you do want to travel internationally, you need to have some piece of paper. Who's going to make that piece of paper? Right. And who's, you know, that piece of paper, who is going to be willing to also recognize it? Like is the national, you know, fish and wildlife um are they going to look at this certification from Jim Warren saying that you, in fact, do have a Morizo pear bow made in 1910? Yeah. Um, and it's fine to cross international borders. Or are they going to say, oh, we'll take your bow and then we'll let you know if it's okay or not? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, so there's going to be a lot of question marks. Um, I don't think there's going to be an army of people coming to steal our bows, though. That's a good thing. I don't That's think so either. That's... <laughs> Um, yeah, but crossing international borders, that's where it's going to get tricky. Yeah. And there's, uh, currently only 17 U S checkpoints that you're actually able to depart from 
even if you do have proof of this pre-2007 bow. Right. Um, and then what about all the fakes, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. There's, I don't know. You can just start. I'm not going to spiral. Not going to okay. spiral. Okay. Um, yeah. If you're a bow maker, okay. Mm -hmm. What happens to our bow makers, Rosie? Well, um, I, you might know more than me about this, but I, I'm speculating that not a ton changes because if you are a bow maker, you must have already done the work to verify that your wood was collected before 2007. Nope. No. No, not necessarily. Oh and that's the issue that a lot of the bow makers are worried about right now because, okay, for example, a bow maker dies, a famous bow maker dies, um, and his stash of Pernambuco is then sold. Well, when they were buying Pernambuco, they weren't coming with certifications. There's wood floating out there from the Oshard shop, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I've met some bow makers like, yeah, this is actually from Emile Oshard's wood collection. Um, it's been passed down. Tell me more about him. Emile Ouchard? Yeah. Yeah, a famous French bowmaker, worked in France and then moved to New York, made in New York. Um, his bows are right now fetching prices that are just under or almost neck to neck with Sartori in some ways. So, I mean, very famous French bowmaker. What time period was he? Oh, I forget when he died, but he moved to New York, I think, in 48 or so. Okay. Um, but yeah, so mid-20th uh, century. Okay. Um, but who there's, you know, I can grab a piece of Pernambuco and say, yeah, this mm -hmm. was from Emile Huchard's book, you know, his stash of Pernambuco, right? Um, but you can't A lot it. of people, <laughs> as they've been buying, um, and that's just a, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of people have been buying wood, especially old wood for a number of years, and they just don't have certification because it wasn't necessary. Yeah. It's like, you know, buying a tortoiseshell mounted bow in 1950. It wasn't necessary for them to say, okay, well, you know, this is made in 1950. So it's pre the ban that's going to be coming to us in, you know, a number of years. Yeah. I will say, so I've been... Uh, I've been nerding out on this podcast called Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. It is very nerdy and I love it. It's a guy right. who owns a lumber yard. He like talks at length about tone woods, but he is talking about how probably what will happen in the future in the lumber industry is this technology that we've developed for Bitcoin blockchain where you can basically um keep track of every checkpoint along the way and date it mm -hmm. that is probably going to be the future of wood it was here at this point and then it moved to here at this point then it moved to here at this point so there will be a start date going forward but of course that hasn't been enacted yet and so none of us have kept track with the um the long chain of where our wood came from, except for like maybe with a Sharpie, someone scrawled like Mexico 1930 on right. the end of yeah. the piece of wood. That's about as formal as we get here. Yeah. I mean, so bow makers, if you're setting on your lifetime supply, I'm sorry, you know, it's going to, mm. we're just going to have to see what happens and see what, you know, luckily we have a lot of master bow makers who are in these positions, right? Um, mm who are going to be getting to the bottom of this and helping us figure out what to do. Yeah. You know, um, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Uh, and of course the, the, um, other option is just to find a new material. Yes. And more to come on that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing is you've got your bow makers, you've got your players. What if you're a shop owner? What if you don't make this stuff, but you sell it? What are we going to do? And that's you and me right now. Yeah, we're talking to us. You and me, like, sending messages back and forth, like, oh, my God, have we bought this stuff? Oh, my God, I think some of it's in my showroom. I didn't know. Uh well, and that's, I mean, yeah, we're talking about the wood that was confiscated. That I, it, It's hard. I mean, like I said, I am a bow nut. I've got a tattoo of a bow on my arm. 
when I'm presented with, you know, when I go to the VSA and I meet up with Arcos Brazil and Marco Raposo and all of these people, you know, Larche, um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole number of these makers. I look at every single bow, you know, because I love it. I want to see the wood. I want to go through and take those moments to handpick mm -hmm. the, the bows that I want to sell in my shop. Um, and if we've sold a Pernambuco bow in the last 20 years, then we've definitely sold bows that was made out of illegal wood. That's the yeah. bottom line. Yeah. Um, and many of the stores across the United States, across the yeah. world, this is true. And, yeah. And that's, I mean, for me, a person who loves trees, I love to go to the redwood groves and just sit there and listen, you know, look up and soak up that energy. Yeah. It, it leaves me in a very, very kind of a messed up position because yeah. I don't want to stop dealing in bows. I don't want to have to erase my tattoo. That would be no. weird. Well, I, I think, you know, for me, the more I read about this, the more I'm fired up that I just need to educate everyone who walks through the door who is shopping for bows. Yeah. I, I had somebody walk in, very kind person. I don't think that there was in any ill meaning behind what he said, but we started talking a little bit about potential changes in Pernambuco. And he was like, so uh, we're going to get like a, some kind of underground railroad going for this. <laughs> and I had to say, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope we do something better than that. Um, so, so the best we can do as shop owners is keep in front of the information, educate ourselves, educate, educate our customers, educate, yeah. educate. I mean, and that's every bow sale. I always, you know, I tell my employees at both shops, you know, it's, you can sell violence, self uh, selling violence. is kind of a self evident thing. People will pick up a violin. They notice the differences. Mm -hmm. When you pick up a bow, every bow sale requires tons of education, tons of you pointing out the differences, listening to the people and I think we just need to up our game even more on the bow education. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I think we need to be more discerning on who we're selling these prized bows to, you right. know? Um, yeah. Does every beginner student need a Pernambuco bow, every sixth right. grader? No. And I mean, also, what about those piles of bows that we've said, oh, well, we'll work on those some days because maybe they're too warped or maybe they're, the balance is just a little off. You know, I think recycling stuff and even opening up our minds once again to the old Brazil wood bows. I mean, in Germany, they were making hundreds of thousands of Brazil wood bows that was being exported to the U.S. You know, when I buy collections and I look through a pile of 400 bows, you know, I consider it a lucky day if I find 50 that are good quality Pernambuco. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the batting average usually. Um yeah. And most of those, I mean, in my shop, I probably have five or 600 bows that are Brazil wood that are just laying there that need to be straightened, that need to have this and that done. Mm. But they're not bad bows. They could be made to, to be good. You know, it's just going to require some elbow grease. So you're about to get some people messaging you to see if they can get their hands on those. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, we just have to be mindful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so in this, the conversation needs to happen. What other materials are there? Yeah. It's it's not all Pernambuco. There's, there's other things out there. There's talk of other materials. There's experimentation going on with new materials. Uh, we have a friend who is making some brilliant bows out of a fast-growing, abundant, sustainable wood. And I don't want to say any more on that until it's ready to, to be out in public. But innovation is happening. Innovation station. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one type of wood being discussed is called catalogs, formerly known as Swartzia cubensis, lately adopting the name Mexican ebony. So right now, the guitar makers are onto this stuff. They're using them for necks and for fretboards. But here's the thing. Guys, ladies, everybody else under the spectrum, how do we do this right this time? What happens if catalogs becomes the bow-making wood of the future? Are there going to be any protections for this wood? 
do the Middle and South American countries have the resources to protect these forests long term? We need to face some of these questions now with this material before we just move on to the next wood and the next wood. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, there's also a lot of experimentation with, um, you know, treating woods, you know, firing woods, drying them, hardening them, uh, the same way that people are trying to experiment with, uh, alternative fingerboards at the moment. Um, and I think we just have to open our minds Mm -hmm. to other options, you know, humans, um, we are a largely adaptive species. And even though, you know, Mia being a fiddler and, you know, being a very huge nerd for uh, my instruments and bows, as much as I don't ever want to consider not playing a Pernambuco bow, mm-hmm. I'm sure if you put a aluminum bow in my hand, I could get used to it and figure it out, you yeah. know? And there have been alternative bows going back to the 20s. I mean, I collect actually a couple of the different um, aluminum bows that were made in the U.S. You know, if you go and start researching patents, there have been all types of things put out there. And we just have to, you know, in the name of preservation of wood, be open-minded. Yeah. Now, of course, there's the the pretty popular synthetic bows made out of carbon fiber and braided carbon fiber. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to say what I'm going to say and try to keep myself out of any legal trouble here. Um, those bows uh, probably answer a lot of the woes of the current musician, especially those who are doing international travel, because anybody who opens that violin case, it is clear, not only is it not Pernambuco, it's just not wood. Yeah. So there's there's no chance of getting into trouble in that capacity. Um, but those synthetic bows have a shelf life. Um, they yeah, we're, we're still exploring that because yeah. you know, the carbon fiber bows only been really mm-hmm. out and about since the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, really in in uh, uh, circulation since the 90s. Um and carbon fiber was only invented in the early 60s, you know, mm-hmm. so we don't really know what the shelf life. The one downside to carbon fiber is it's directly related to the oil industry. Well, if I, I'm quoting somebody unofficially who's, who yeah. thinks that they do not have the same shelf life as wood, especially yeah. wood yeah. that's taken care of. So, um, yeah, yeah, we know for a fact that permanent buco bows, well cared for, can last a couple hundred years. Yeah. But the the thing about, you know, we do have carbon fiber, we have fiberglass, um, we have alternative woods. I mean, you know, in my shops, we sold wood or bows made out of Ipe, sandalwood, mm-hmm. um, all types of different things. Yeah. And I'm sorry to, I'm sorry I cut you off about the point that is made from fossil fuels and the oil industry. Yeah. That's uh, something that needs to be addressed as well if we are on the conservation train. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, it's loaded. The whole thing's loaded. But just knowing our options is going to help guide us forward. And also shop owners and teachers being able to pair the players with the right option. Yeah. That's the the next thing. But I'm really excited because some of the best innovations are made out of necessity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that moves me into... This next part, because uh, a lot of this is heavy, a lot of this is a downer, but I want to say out loud some of the hopes that I have going forward. And Brandon, feel free to join in if you want to share yours as well. So for me, this, this is what I want for Pernambuco Wood. Whatever change is about to happen, no matter how painful I want us as a community to look back 10 from 10 years from now, 20 years from now and say, thank God we did that. I want us to be able to say Pernambuco is so much healthier now because we did that. That is my hope. Um, this is what I want for our industry, for luthiers, for the bow makers, for the music shop workers, whatever new technology is on the horizon I want it to be sustainable. 
I want us to ultimately find something that has a longer shelf life. Uh, and, and, and when, not if we land on that wood or that new technology, we fight like hell to protect that wood long-term to preserve our industry for future generations. And now this next one, this gets a little, a little bit romance more than reality. So stay with me. This is what I want for the musicians. I'm a romantic Rosie. Okay. I'm a true romantic. You're hanging with me. All right, guys, there was an era before tort. There, there was a time when we had other bows and we thought it was awesome. We had the Baroque style and the Baroque sound. And when we look back on that sound, we have romance attached to it. There are different time periods that have a certain kind of nostalgia attached to them. And whatever's coming up this time, I, I would like, you know, 40 years in the future, 50 years in the future, somebody listens to a recording that happened in, say, like 2025, 2030, and they go, oh, there's that sound. That's when they switch to that new technology. Do you hear it? And that there is a nostalgia attached to it. That is what I want. And for us, for us at the bench, I want us not to be afraid to embrace new technology right now. Yes, there is a time, there is a lot of the time that we do tradition for tradition's sake in this industry, but it's time to innovate and let's, let's go out and explore. And, and I believe that the new thing is going to be great, whatever we land upon, but let's fight like hell to take care of what we have and make sure that the people coming forward, the future, amazing, awesome, world-changing musicians have quality stuff because we took care of it for them. That is my hope. Rosie, can you uh, run for like president or something? Coming right up. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm like tears over here. <laughs> that was great. Um, Thanks. I second all of that. And let's fight like hell. Let's also yeah. not be so dismissive of what we have already. Um, it's such a capitalistic game yeah. to only deal in perfectly preserved, non-broken bows and stuff. But we have to remember we're in this for the players also, not just the collectors, yeah. not just the people who are paying the top price for that perfect example and I have, along with those Brazil bows, I have a pile of broken bows that I've not invested in. But you know what? After they're fixed with especially the modern techniques that are out there, they play just as well. And that's why they're called players bows. But mm. damn it, let's recycle. You yeah. know, let's just do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you said there were a few resources we wanted to mention one more time. I do want to say again, thank you to Rodney Moore. Thank you to Young Chen for your time and for sending us information and helping us unpack this. Um, thank you everyone out there for wrestling with this complicated issue with us. And uh, we look forward to keeping you updated as things change. Yeah. Continue to look at the alliance-usa.org. Mm -hmm. Um Make sure to research. Uh, we'll try to put a link in the program notes of the CITES uh, proposition that we actually quoted. Um, we're happy to share all the information and links where we pulled a lot of these resources because we're pulling from resources. We want to share our um, our research. And once again, we're not pointing fingers at anyone. We're pointing fingers at the large issue. I'm pointing a finger at higher Bolsonaro. Yes, yes. For, That's my yes. only finger. I, it's I'll, a very specific finger. <laughs> yes, uh, I'll I'll also second that finger or third. <laughs> what what finger is it? Oh, it's the second. Yeah. Um, and but keep an eye on all the new information that's coming out. Also, just you know, have conversations with your bow dealers. Have conversations with makers. Try to support people who are being innovative. Um, also, I mean, there are so many people out there coming up with new products. Don't be afraid to try them. Um, yeah. 
keep working on those old bows. Mm-hmm. Yay, Pernambuco. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Thanks for your time. Uh, Man, this was a lot to get through. Uh, Y'all are awesome. And your continued support is amazing. And we appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, next month, we have coming up Jerry Lynn and Michael Doran. They are going to talk about sharpening, right? Yep. They're going to get right to the point. Right to the point. I'm looking forward to that one. Okay, guys. Come see us at the VSA, everyone. Yeah. Yes. We, um, you guys out there, keep yourself informed. Take care. OMO is an all Luthier podcast produced by Rosie Deloach, Brandon Godman, Jason Peoples, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples, music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash omopod, where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out at mail at omopod.com or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening.